Episode 35 with Jordan Angeli on the Nine Point Start With A Dream Podcast. Welcome to Nine Point Started With A Dream Podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Um, this one was a tough one. I've been sitting on this one for maybe about two years now, just trying to avoid editing it, avoid listening to it, because it brings back a lot of memories that I try to block out myself about my ACL journey, about the day I tore it, and just the overall recovery process and how it really changed my life. But this episode is with Jordan Angeli, and she goes through her ACL journey and the reason why she started the ACL club. She's a former soccer player, and ultimately she's creating a, a platform that really helps make something that can be a rough experience less lonely. And it's really impactful just to see what she's doing because I wish I'd have this when I tore my ACL. I'm going to enjoy Jordan's journey and love the story, so let's get to it. You were a young athlete. What was your biggest dream or your biggest goal? My biggest dream as a young athlete, well, it depends on when you, what you classify as young, I think, because when I was a young athlete, I think really young. All I wanted to do is be like my sister. You know, it was my older sister. We were eight, we're 18 months apart. So super close to one another. And she always got to do things a little bit before me. So I always wanted to be right there and be doing those things with her. So I think until I was like eight or nine, I wanted to be like her. And then I started realizing like, Oh, I really like this soccer thing. Like there's, there's stuff beyond, um, just this, little niche that I have around me or this little community you have around me. So I started dreaming way bigger. And my, my dream, I remember it coming, like, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was in San Bernardino, California. We were playing regionals. I was 12 years old. And I remember watching, it was 90, 1999. And I remember watching the U.S. women team play on TV. We were all in this lobby, huddled around a TV, it was in between our games and I looked at them and said, that's what I want to do in my brain. I remember that exact moment thinking, you know, that's, that's my goal. That's my dream of where I want to be wearing the U S Jersey and playing in front of thousands of people. And what about that? I guess that game made you guess get that feeling. I don't know. It's very, it's kind of weird because at that point in my career, I was, I ne- I barely ever played. Like I sat the bench most every single game. I probably, my coach gave me courtesy minutes. So I probably played like maybe 10 minutes a game. And it's really funny that I could be going through that in my real life, like in reality. And my belief in, in my ability to see the game or, or play the game or what I, I knew intuitively like what was going to be my journey is I knew that was going to be me I knew that that's what I could do and I don't know what about it made it real but in that moment I just remember like locking into that so deeply and knowing that that was going to be something that I pursued for a long time awesome that's great to hear that you cut that you had like yeah like a home beginning pretty much you know yeah, like kind of home beginning there, the way you want to go. So, oh yeah, so what- I, I got back from that trip, and my coach um, met with me and was like, "We're going to move you down to the second team." And I was like, "No, you're not." And this is this is funny thing because I told him no, which is 
like how many times have you told your coach like no you're not going to cut me but I told him no because I was like well you don't have an outside left you don't have a left-footed player you don't have a left mid a left defender so give me a season and I'll be that if I'm not your starting left outside mid at the end of the season then you can cut me and I ended up being that person so I don't know it's it's just a funny like how those events transpired right so cool. So you're saying is that he's going to cut you, but you're like, hey, you need this. I can be that person for you type deal. Yeah, I saw that, that our team didn't have a player that was consistently playing on the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. And I was like, until you find that player, you need to give me a chance to be that player. So I don't know if it's stubbornness. I don't know if it's the ability to see the game. You know, I did sit on the bench a lot, so I did get yeah. to watch the game a lot. Yeah. And I realized, okay, well – if this is what you're going to do, you need to at least give me a shot and just to have the the courage to say that to him. Who He could have still said, like, that's the thing too. He could have still said, no, like, we're going to still cut you. But um, he didn't. So he gave me that opportunity. Awesome. And so when he said yes, what, what would your mindset, like, like, okay, I need to train more or I need to just keep doing what I'm doing or like, what would your process on that? Right away, I knew exactly what I had to do. I had to train extra, and I called a coach within our club, and I said, we, we train on Monday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. So every Tuesday, I would meet with this coach, and we would l- train, and I would not touch the ball with my right foot. I would only touch the ball with my left foot. So all my passing was with my left. All the, the drills that we did, the dribbling drills, the juggling drills, everything, shooting, everything was with my left foot. And I mean, I would maybe touch it just to feel what it felt like and then try to mirror it on my left side. But um, I was, I was focused. I was determined that I was going to stay on the team and get my left foot just as good as my right foot. So, so when you came back that next season and it was, and you were like, Hey, it's my time. And what, what, what was your coach's reaction when he saw your point two of you? Yeah, I don't, it was pretty soon after that, my coach actually, that coach actually left and he went and coached in the, it was called WUSA. It was the first women's professional league. So, I mean, it's not like the guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he's now, um, he's been a U20 national team coach and he coaches at Texas Tech. And it's funny that adversity and um, that challenge early on in my career, um, made me figure out what, if it was worth it or not to me and who I was going to be in those moments of uh, trial. And he is, I, I saw him last year, actually here in Colorado at a women's national team game. And we were like both, like I was in tears because I know that his, he was doing what he felt like was right, but him by, by him giving me an opportunity to prove myself, he was actually giving me an opportunity to, to see who I was going to be in those, those tough moments. So um, there's a real admiration we have for one another, and um, I'm so thankful for him. And he, you know, I don't know what his reaction was then, but I know his reaction now is nothing but, like, pride and um, happiness for me. Awesome. That's great to hear. Um, so, so once you kind of start this new journey as, as on the left side, when did you kind of get that, that realization that, cause yeah, you kind of, you kind of had in your head that you're going to be good, but when did you kind of realize it in like in reality that, Hey, I can be good at this. Oh, 
I always showed up in big moments. Like okay. I, so yeah, I played on the left side then, but I, I was really one of those players. Like I was content. You could play me anywhere. And I was so um, intrigued in the game that I wanted to know how every single player played their position. And when a coach would be talking to the forwards, I would be listening because I was like, if I play forward, I need to know what he's saying. If I play defender, I need to know what he's saying to the defender or she's saying to the defender. So I was just so intrigued about how the game worked and where you were supposed to be and um, patterns of play and formations and where pockets of space would be and just feeling the game. And I, I had this sense of showing up in big moments and scoring goals for my team and, um, you know, they weren't always the prettiest goals. Like I'm not, I wasn't scoring like a laser from 45 yards, but I was there um, putting goals away when we needed a goal. And I just remember my parents um, encouraging me and saying, you know, I know you're running that up and down and up and down the sideline. Cause when you play on the outside, like you don't touch the ball a whole lot, but you, if, if you're not in the right spot when the ball's there, you could miss these opportunities. So I just remember them encouraging me to like put in the work and good things will happen. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know when that actual realization was because I just, I always had this belief in myself. Like I didn't, I didn't really care what other people thought. Like yeah. I just didn't care because I knew that I was going to get continue to get better. Like I was the littlest te person on my team until we were 17 years old. And then I just grew like, he like probably eight inches in two years. And so I wasn't really looked at by any, anybody. And, um, I never made the, I never made any of the teams growing up, the regional team, the national team. Um, we would always go to these, uh, camps in the summer and these other girls will get chosen. And I'm like, I know they're not to say that they're not good, but I knew that I was a better soccer player than them. But mm -hmm. because I was so small, I felt like I was overlooked and I would get discouraged. And then about a day later I would go back and I'd start working and um, I just loved the game so much. So I don't know if it was a certain moment that I knew I was going to be good. It was this internal belief that I can't even describe where it comes from or how it was put inside of me, but um, it was always there. there. Yeah. That's gold. And it still is there. Awesome. That's gold because I, I meet a lot of athletes on, on, on Instagram, whatever, they're always like, I want to I get out there, but you know, I'm being told I'm too small. And yeah, I think you're kind of an example of like showing that, you know, if you believe in yourself, the height doesn't matter, you know. It's yeah. Like you just make up for whatever you can do, be faster, be more technical, whatever. So I think that's often you said that. So. Yeah, I, I do feel that. I think it's challenging in some sports, the height aspect. And, you know, I did grow. And now I'm, you know, I ended up being one of the tallest people on my team. It just, it just was really late. But even when I was smaller, I was like, wow, what an advantage I have right now. Like, mm -hmm. I can, I can like your core is such a big part of your stabilization. So I was like, I can push this person in their core with my arm. And that's not a foul because they're doing the same thing to me, but it's up by my head. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I just used it. Like I just found the advantages I could in every situation and uh, clinged onto them. That's awesome. 
So as you're as you're getting better, you're kind of getting more experience. How was the college talk coming for you? It was interesting. You know, it's it's one of those things too that um, I had some getting recruited to college is just a bizarre. I think it's it's so crazy, and the way that it works in soccer world now is really unfair to these kids. I think. Um, like there's an, I just saw an athlete who's 11 years old committed verbally to go to UNC. And it's really hard for me to think like when I was 11 years old, what college I would have chosen to go to if, you know, that was my choice. Like if that's all I had to do in order to get a scholarship. So I took a very different approach to it than even the people that I was around is I wanted to make sure every single thing about going to that school was something that I wanted to do. Um, or as many as possible, right? You're never going to get this perfect school situation, but you're going to try to get as, as close to that as possible. So um, Santa Clara was really good when I was, so 99, when I saw those women play in the World Cup, that fall, Santa Clara was probably the one of the best college soccer teams um, ever to happen. They were like goals. They weren't giving up goals. They were scoring all these goals. They were just phenomenal. So um, and then the next couple of years, they were really good too. In 2001, I went to camp, just like a summer camp there. And when I got there, I was like, wow, this place is awesome. Like, I want to go there. So that was my dream school. So that was in the like back of my head. But like I said, I wasn't this, I, I was overlooked as a player and I, I didn't really get the looks that these other people did. So when they were all committing to go to college their junior year, I had been getting offers, but to, um, small schools, DUs, D2 schools. And I was like, this just isn't, this isn't it. So, um, I turned down a couple of full rides to some D1 schools. Um, I know I was looked at by Missouri, by Purdue, um, by South Carolina, and they all offered me these really good deals, but I just didn't feel like it was right. And I waited and waited and, um, Fortunately enough that going into my senior year, Santa Clara, uh, the, one of the coaches was my coach for the regional team. And it was the first time I ever made the regional team and not a coincidence, right? That I grew yeah, yeah, that yeah. much. <laughs> it was the first time I made the regional team and he was the coach and he went back and told the Santa Clara coach, like, we got to have this girl. And I'm still thankful for Curtis McAllister and everything that he did and hit the fight that he put up for me because I, I ended up committing um, December 31st of my senior year. So it was halfway through my senior year. It was a really late recruit by, by all means. And, but I felt like I waited because I knew that an opportunity was going to come along that I really would want. And that was Santa Clara. I wanted to go to Santa Clara because the school is a great school. It's in the heart of Silicon Valley. It had a great business program. And that's kind of what I thought maybe I wanted to do. And, and then it had palm trees. And it's like a beautiful <laughs> resort. Um, but I also knew that I wanted to play soccer. And I knew that Jerry Smith was and still is one of the most intellectual soccer coaches that there are. And I knew that even if I didn't play that much my freshman year, I knew I would figure out a way to play and I would get better as a soccer player. So I went in on a, a small scholarship and um, I think I got 35% my first year. 
And by the end of my time, my last few years, I was on a full ride. So I, I worked into that by, by proving that I deserved that every single day in my attitude and my training and how I treated my teammates and my leadership, all those little things, the little things added up to, you know, this, what was a, a much bigger scholarship. But I, if I, if I didn't take that risk and, and choose the opportunity that maybe wouldn't have turned out as well, I don't think I would have gotten to where I got. Definitely. So, so basically it all started with, with that switch to the left side. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of, that kind of started the, I, I want to say not ambition, but more of this, just maybe the driving you maybe kind of help you kind of get that adversity early on. Yeah, it was a, definitely a big stepping stone. Um, I think challenge always brings out your true characteristics and it comes to the surface, what you're really made of. And some people are not challenged in life for a long time, especially athletes. Mm -hmm. There's so Mm -hmm. many really, really good athletes out there who are born and just are physically gifted. They just have the speed. They have the, um, the physical attributes that can help them succeed in their sport. But I never had that. Like I, I still didn't have that when I was pro, like people constantly told me how slow I was. I was like, cool, but I'm still on the field. Like I never took, I never had to lean on my physical attributes. And so I think, or had the ability to do that. So I think that really allowed me to say, okay, well, you're going to have to do something else if you're going to get there. And that was, you know, learning the game that was training as much as I could. That was bringing, you know, gathering as much information as possible. So yeah, the, the switch to the left side was big, but I think the, the adversity in that moment of, of trying to be cut. And I think just the challenge of, all right, you're not going to get all these gifts uh, physically. How are you going to figure out a way to make it happen? So I just think my, my true early on, my true characteristics and my true self really had to come out. And um, lucky for me, I had some grit in there. (laughs) Uh, Who better at soccer, you or your sister? Oh me, gosh. (laughs) My sister stopped playing after high school. Um, She was, she was so like, talk about physically gifted. If I had her speed and her stature, I would have probably had a lot more ability, but um, I got the drive and she didn't, and she knows that and she's fine with that. But um, I, I, she'll definitely say me. (laughs) Cool, cool. So, so once you're, you're playing, you're playing college right now, you're you're getting better each year. When did you have the realization that pro was really an opportunity for you to, to really make it happen? Well, the only way to play pro when I was in college until my, um, after my senior year, which was actually my, with due to injuries was not really my senior year. Um, the only way to play pro was to go abroad or to play for the national team. So the national team was always something that I had my eye on and I wanted to play um, for our country. And when I was after my sophomore year, so my freshman year of college, I played outside back and I was a man marker. So I had to mark the likes of Christine Sinclair, who is um, top two on 
ev most ever international goals scored um, for Canada and around the world. Like she's catching Abby Wambach, who has the most goals ever scored as a professional soccer player on the international level. So I had to mark Christine Sinclair my freshman year. I had to mark Lindsay Tarpley. You know, these players who were really big time players, um, that was my task is to mark them and not let them score goals. So my coach said, so I told you, I was happy being on the field and learning all these things. So when my coach said, you're going to do this, I said, okay, I'm going to try my best. Right. Did I want to play marker? Not really. Like I would have rather played like a regular soccer player, but that wasn't what I was chosen to do. So I did my best I could. And we went to the final four and, um, unfortunately lost in the semifinal, but, I, my sophomore year, I moved up to center forward. So I was playing the number nine. I was, I scored 12 goals. Like I just had a really good year. And after that, I was invited on to the U20 national team. And that is kind of the feeder system into the, the women's national team. So I, half of the girls that I played on the U20s with ended up being, um, not half, probably a good handful nine, 10 of them ended being uh, regulars on the women's national team. So I knew that that was uh, something that I could get to, you know, it was within reach. It was right there. It was close. We trained with them. We played against them. Um, did I feel like I wasn't there yet? Absolutely. But I felt like I could get there. So the national team was really the, the way to play pro. And then towards the end of my career at Santa Clara, there was a new pro league that happened called the WPS that um, started after my, actually after my fifth year, it started. And I had a one more season of college still. So it seems like it's almost like a domino effect for you, kind of how things kept, kept aligning for you towards the end. Like you're like, you're, like you're kind of already playing against pro players in college and it just kind of helped maybe like get the confidence, like I'm marking, you know, her, I got this. Yeah. I, I think I didn't realize that then I just thought like, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do the best I can. I was so focused on the moments, like, um, you know, my teammates would, I, I asked them like, can you believe out of me, out of everybody was the one that played pro and they're like, yeah, absolutely. Jordan. I'm like, really? And they just, there was something about me always when I trained, when I played, like I was all about it. Like mm. we're going to go and we're going to be intense and we're going to get it done. And um, I just had this mindfulness and this present, I was always present and, you know, thinking about the task at hand. So I don't think in those moments I really thought, oh, wow, I'm, I'm playing against Christine Sinclair and like, this is just like me playing for the national team for the U S and her playing for the Canadian national team. I was just thinking like, this is my job. I got to do it the best I can. <laughs> so, so you said earlier, you said that, you, that your senior you kind of had injuries. What kind of injuries did you, did you go through? My going into my senior year. So it was my junior spring and we, I had just found out since I played with the under twenties, I took a quarter off of school in order to go play with them because um, we were in camps twice a month and there were week long camps. And so it was a lot of time that I was devoting to that. So I took a quarter off to play with them and go to the uh, world cup with them. And so my, a year later, I found out that morning that I would graduate on time if I just took an extra class each quarter. 
and that afternoon I went out um, to play and I was going for from a forward to they were converting me to a defensive mid or a center back they were kind of, I was kind of floating in between the two positions so I was defending a lot more and I just um, was defending a teammate of mine and I pushed off my left foot to go right and I looked down and my knee was in between my legs and I knew immediately that that's not where your knee is supposed to be. And I screamed bloody murder. And, um, you know, I don't remember a noise, but a friend of mine who played on the men's team was training a little bit by himself down the field. And he was like, Jordan, it sounded like a baseball bat. Like, um, it was your knee made such a loud noise and, um, I had torn my ACL and that was, the start of a tough two, a little over two years, because I then tore my ACL again 11 months later and had to sit out not only my senior season, which was really difficult for me not to play with some of my best friends who I'd gone through college with altogether, but then the following year I redshirted again. So I had two fall seasons in a row where. I wasn't able to participate with my team and, you know, was, was rehabbing. So I got a medical redshirt and a regular redshirt and finished my four years of eligibility in six years. Wow. Like two back to back. I don't know feel in high school. It's kind of how I found your, your account um, recently, but I know like, like Cameron wants it one mental journey, but doing it twice. How did, how did you, I guess, cope with that to still think that I want to play soccer in the future? Um, well, the day I found out I tore my ACL again, I, so 11 months later, I was training again and probably shouldn't have trained that day. I got some bad advice from my training staff at Santa Clara saying, you know, even if your knee is swollen, if it doesn't hurt, you can play, which is not true for anybody out there who has a swollen, any kind of joint. If your joint is swollen, your muscles that are supposed to protect the joint will not fire correctly because the nerves will be surrounded by fluid. So when they're, when you're telling them to fire, they won't be able to correctly fire. So I went out and played because I was the captain and I felt obligated to play if I could play, even though both times, all three times I tore my ACL, I knew something. I, my body was telling me don't play like inside of me was saying, do not play today. Something is not right. Um, but I pushed through because that's what I always do. And um, I went out and played yeah, and like yeah, yeah, we're crazy. And um, I went out and played in about five minutes into our scrimmage. So Thursdays, we always played against the boys in the spring. And um, five minutes in, I went up for a corner kick and I landed on my leg and it shifted, my knee shifted a little bit. Nothing like it did the first time at all, but it, I definitely felt it shift. And I put my hands on my knees and I took a deep breath and I said, oh my goodness, what was that? Like, I think I'm okay. I think I can run. Um, so I played the rest of the scrimmage and I was taking like very loopy cuts. I wasn't cutting and pushing out, but um, I went into the trainer after that and I told her and um, she was like, well, we feel a big PCL catch. Like we're feeling your PCL catch, but um, maybe we should just get an MRI to check. And I didn't really know that when your PCL is the only thing that catches, then your ACL is not there. 
So unfortunately, I f that was a Thursday. I got my MRI Friday, and then I went into the doctor on Monday morning because he always came into the school. And um, I walked in, and he said, well, you tore your ACL again. Like, like it was no big deal. And I was like, okay, well, I can't be here right now. And I just walked out and um, actually I'm going to see this friend today. A friend of mine um, was in the hallway going into the training room and I collapsed into her arms. Like I was devastated and I couldn't believe that was real life. And it, I somehow got back to my house. I don't even remember how I got back there. And I'd like, my roommate was in her bed and I like crawled into the bed with her and I like couldn't stop crying. And she was like, what is going on? What is going on? And um, yeah, that day was really hard. It's still hard, like brings up emotions thinking back to it. But I, I didn't, after I, I know those, like I felt the emotions, I felt the pain and the frustration and the feelings that I don't, you know, this might be the end. And then once those kind of subsided and I let them all out, I was like, are you kidding? Like out of everything, you think that this is going to hold you back? So I just was like, all right, I can, like, I can do this. I know it's not going to be easy, but um, I know that I was given this challenge for a reason. So I just decided that I was going to play again. Yeah. And it was very, I mean, I think one of the things I learned about through each of my ACLs was, you know, your emotions are there for a reason. And if you don't allow them to be felt, then you actually are not allowing yourself to heal. So I was okay with however I felt like, um, you know, I was frustrated at times because I couldn't do things for myself. And I was happy at times because I accomplished something and, you know, my range of motion came back quicker, or whatever it was. Like there were so many different thing pieces of emotion that went into it. And, um, I, I took my time and gave myself no timeline. And I think that was the biggest change between my first one and my second one. My first one, I was like, I got to get back as fast as I can. And that's not really the case ever. Like I started thinking like, I just want to be healthy again. So I took my time and, um, it, it paid off for a while. <laughs> oh, awesome. So, so you, so you still want to go pro? I knew that in order to play professionally. So going after my fifth year is when the WPS started. And so I was going into my sixth year fall with the knowledge that like, you know, this could be it. Like, you know, once you get injured to the fact, to, to that extreme, you have such a better understanding of like how blessed we are to play a sport. And so I was really just, I didn't even think beyond what was going on in my, my world. I was happy to be training. I was happy to be a part of a team and be a captain on a team where I was 22 years old or 23. How old was I? 23. And these girls were 17, 18 years old. Right. So like I felt happy to be a mentor and, uh, to be playing again and to be leading on the field. So I definitely embraced my, my senior season to its fullest ability. Like I, I loved every single moment of it. And 
knew that if I didn't focus on that, then nothing would come in the future. So um, I didn't really think about playing pro until after the season. And I put my name into the draft and got drafted. <laughs> no got drafted. Deal. Yeah, it was a really cool experience. I mean, it is a big deal. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to ever put it down because it, you know, not a lot of athletes, there are so many athletes out there and not a lot of them can ever, you know, say like, I got to live my dream and I feel super blessed and, um, just, I think that's thankful that I got to pursue that. And so, um, the draft was in January. We finished in December. We lost in the, um, we lost in this elite eight at Stanford. And, um, I actually had a torn meniscus. I had torn my meniscus earlier in the season that I had gotten repaired with my first ACL. I had torn my meniscus and during the Stanford game, my meniscus. So I don't know if you know much about a meniscus, but mm -hmm. it's, it's supposed to coat your knee, right. And protect the joint and allow it to, um, slide correctly. And so my meniscus had flapped over the part that was torn. It had flapped over and it was like someone was stabbing me with a knife in my knee the whole entire game. And I told my coach, do not take me out of the game. I am playing this game because I knew that could have been like, who knows? Like that was potentially my last game. Was it smart? No, but um, I played that game and we lost on a, I mean, we played so well and we lost on this stupid call and this beautiful free kick by Teresa Noyola. I will never forget that. But um, after that, I got drafted the next, you know, about a month later, a month and a half later, um, my family and I, my parents and I went to Philadelphia and sat in the draft room and um, I got drafted 16th overall to the Boston Breakers and it was just the, the, a really, really cool moment and a special moment I got to share with my parents. So, so I know ACL kind of had a big part of your, your life. So what led you to start the, the ACL club? I started the ACL club because after my, um, after my first year pro, so I played pro for Boston. I was, um, the leading rookie goal scorer and was on this amazing team who set me up for a lot of goals um, and got named to top 11 of the league, best 11 in, in WPS of Monks, like all these amazing players. Had a really good year. I was playing with the national team the following year. So January, February, I was in camps with the national team. I come into camp for my Boston team in, in March, flying high, like playing so well. And my first game of my second season pro, I score a goal about 20 minutes in. It seems like it's off to a good start. And um, 10 minutes later, I was at half field and I got tackled and I tore my ACL for the third time. And I knew right when I got tackled that um, I had torn my ACL and I was a wreck. Like I, I do not cuss and I was cussing. And um, that phone call, that phone call that I made by, to my parents in the locker room when I went into the locker room was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Um, Cause it wasn't just me going through it, you know, it was my, my family too. And um, you know, that's difficult. So um, I went home to do my, 
I got my surgery at home. I did most of my rehab at home. I went back to Boston for a little bit just to be with my team towards the end of season. Um, but fortunately, unfortunately, I guess, uh, the league actually folded at the end of that year. So um, the following year, there was no there was no league. So I had to get my bones grafted in May and I got my ACL in, in October since it was my third time tearing my ACL. So I knew that the process was going to be about five months, at least five months longer. But I also knew like there was no league. So what was the point of like saying like, I'm going to go play again if there was no league. So my, my whole mindset had changed to like, okay, if you're going to play again, like you have to be the best you. So my, my rehab was like slow and controlled. And with the, my mindset was like, all right, let's just get Jordan. Well, I want to get Jordan back again. Like I want to know who, who I am. So, um, three years later, after I tore my ACL, the, a new league had happened, had, um, come about. I had gotten drafted into that league I didn't play the first year because I was nowhere near ready because I was only rehabbing to be the best Jordan, not the best soccer player. So once I found out the league was there, I was like, okay, well, let's just like up the ante a little and see if I can, if I could possibly do this. And I went to um, DC in 2015, what's 2014. And I went there on a two week trial and ended up earning a spot on the team and um, played that season with DC. I didn't play a whole lot. Um, my mentality and my role on the team was a lot different, but I loved being back with a team and I loved playing soccer again. And after that season, I got traded um, to Buffalo, to a team in Buffalo, New York. And it was one of the teams that I was like, I had told, I, I knew I was going to get traded, but I had told my coach like, okay, can, because of my injuries, can we potentially move me to a place where, can you talk first and foremost to these teams that play on grass? So I could probably save my body a little bit. So Buffalo was not a team I ever thought I was going to be going to. And so once I found out I was going to Buffalo, I remember um, juggling I went out on my own. There's a field by my house called Rooney Road, Rooney Ridge, Rooney Road. I think it's Rooney Road. Um, and I was juggling and I just remember I'm a, I'm a pretty um, faithful person. And um, I felt like in that moment when I was juggling, like I had this, um, this moment with God where he was like, you need to start the ACL club. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't even know what that is. So I went home and I started like, okay, what is this going to mean? I, I just felt like God hadn't put me through three ACLs on the same knee and brought me through all the stuff that we just kind of talked about, the perseverance, the grit, the um, resilience, if, if it wasn't for nothing. So I was like, okay, if I help one person, not ever have to go through what I went through and tearing their ACL three times, then I will win. I will have done what I'm supposed to do. Um, my, my thought is going through this whole process. So in the midst of all these ACL tears, I would get calls from my college coach. I would get calls from my club coach. 
anybody and everyone that knew me would be like, Hey, I have a player who tore their ACL. Can they talk to you? And I was like, absolutely. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't know technically what it, what all the doctors do and what the physical therapists do, but I know what it feels like to be in those moments of, um, distress and vulnerability and grief. And I just felt like I could unite a community that already existed. I already felt like when I went to the gym and I saw somebody doing sit-ups next to me and they had a scar on their knee, like, I don't even know your name, bud, but like, Mm -hmm. I know that we've been through the same thing. So I wanted to bring light to this community that was already out there and that had already shared these common bonds. And so the ACL club uh, grew out of that, you know, out of a service that I felt like I was called to do that my life journey had kind of led me to this and it has been so fulfilling in the, the fact that I do not want people to join the ACL club. That is not what this is about. What this is about is we're athletes, we're active people and injuries are going to happen whether we try to avoid them or not. Are there ways to reduce the risk of injury? Absolutely. And that's something that I'm working very hard on um, teaching young kids how to move their bodies more correctly in order to reduce their risks of injuries in general. But if injuries are going to happen, then I want people to feel like they're supported throughout the journey. And so the ACL club is a place that encourages, inspires, and empowers people to know that there's going to be trials, there's going to be triumphs through this whole ACL recovery journey, but we're that you're going to get through it and we're going to be there supporting you through the whole thing. Awesome. So what, so what year was this when you started it? I started it. So when I was in Buffalo, which was gosh, years for me get, so this is 2015, 2015. 2015. Yeah. I was, I was juggling in January and I was, I was really contemplating like, do I even go to Buffalo? Do I even play anymore? And I felt like, you know what? I, I felt like God was giving me the ability to not only lead a group of people and, and be show up and show that like all things are, are possible through him, but also that I, I was going to start this journey that was going to help me kind of transition from sport to after sport. So, um, I went there and I was blessed with this group of young players. I was the oldest. There was two of us that were, um, in our late twenties, one, one of us was 30. I was 29 and she was 30. First weekend, she tears her ACL. I am now the oldest person and I'm helping her through her ACL and I have a group of there's 20 players on a team and 11 of them were rookies so my my leadership and my ability to stand up for those players and let them know that um, you know I would do anything for them and that I would even not get along with my coach because I felt like they're well-being was should come first and foremost so it was a a challenging year for me I ended up getting waived but in that process I found I had not only found that I could I was impacting these lives greatly right and and creating so many good relationships but I had started the ACL club and I was on my way to um, creating this community that would last for a long time Awesome. So I'll be kind of work towards wrapping up a little bit. So, so how, how is this journey so far with the ACL club going? It's been going well. I think it's really challenging. And I talk about this a lot with other athletes who have started different things or have gone into the workforce, like that transition. 
what's, what's really interesting as an athlete is you can put the work in and you can see success pretty quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to work on a new move and you go out in the backyard and you work on your scissors and then you get it. And then you do the move at practice and you do the move at training and you're like, look at me, I just got a lot better. Um, it's not like that in the real world when you're working, you know, it's, there's so many factors that it is reliant upon. I am, um, so I run the ACL club. I'm also a sports broadcaster. So I called like 62 soccer games this year. So, um, that's more than a game a week. <laughs> and it was yeah. a lot, you know, in the seasons only from March to, to really October. And so I was kind of juggling these, these two things, which, so I was kind of juggling these two things and it hasn't gone as quickly as I, I think it would have. Right. Like, but at the same time I get messages, maybe not every day, maybe every day, other day of thank you of this has helped me so much i have people sending me pictures of them wearing acl club gear and saying like i wore this to pt and i realized that like this is this is a club that always has my back just little things that i i can't ask for anything more like yeah we don't have a thousand you know a hundred thousand followers on instagram i don't you know, I'm not making enough money to support myself, but I'm doing really, um, I'm doing things that are really impactful on people's lives. And I'm, I'm in the process of doing a really cool research project next year that I can't wait to share with everybody and hope that what I'm doing is going to continue to impact a lot of life. So has it gone smoothly? no. Has it gone exactly how maybe I thought it was going to be? No, but I, I'm not going to give up on it because I do, I just feel so called to, to big things, you know, to changing the way that insurance companies give rehabilitation that in order to set athletes up for success post ACL surgery, they need more than 20 visits to their physical therapist to, um, figuring out a way to teach young athletes how their bodies work, what it means to fire your glutes, how that feels, why firing your glutes and your posture and your core, how using like properly using your core can help prevent you while strengthening your feet, all these things that you don't learn until you're older that we, Hey, maybe we can teach these young athletes and Mm -hmm. really make an impact that way. That once they're in these years where we're seeing all these ACL tears, maybe they're not tearing their ACL as much, but it's not because of what they're doing here. It's what they did when they were 10, 11, 12. You learn, you go to, I always think of this, you go, when you want to become a swimmer, you go to swim lessons. Mm-hmm. When you want to become any kind of sport that in, involves running, you just go to the sport. You don't learn how to run. You don't learn how to cut. You don't learn all those things that can actually aid your body to properly perform. So I think we have to kind of go back to basics and, and help these young athletes, um, learn how to properly move their bodies so that's, i have i have big dreams <laughs> oh, I'm, with you on that. I'm with you on that that's, that's something i kind of relate i relate to like with with nine point you know like because i'm realized that like for me like the you know thing that's overall the journey of being a walk on you know i realized that 
I felt alone on a lot of a lot of that stuff because I felt you know athletes were kind of told to kind of hold in our emotions not to share our journey mm-hmm. and it's like there's so many kids that go through that depression because they don't have anyone to you know be with so I'm really yeah. Much much for you. Yeah, I just started this um, book. It's called The Mask of Masculinity. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. Yeah. So in in the first, I'm only I literally started it this morning, and um, it talks about the masks that we wear, especially for men. And I I talk a lot about this to the guys that I work with. Is you know it's okay to show that you're emotional, that you have feelings, and it actually makes you stronger by acknowledging them. And um, because as uh, unfortunately our culture, our society more, not only are you a man, but you're an athlete too. So that's like a double, you know, double, I have to be strong, but you are strong. Like you can't, you don't have to be that way. You are. And actually showing how you feel or expressing how you feel doesn't make you weak. It makes you stronger. I, I put up a quote today on the ACL club that is kind of along this lines. It's by Brene Brown. She said, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Aren't truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they are never weakness. And I think that's so true when you talk about those, um, that idea of showing emotions because that is being vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. But in order to be who you really are, you have to show that you have to feel that you have to be able to express it. Love it. What ended right there. I love it. But awesome. So I so I we kind of end this right now. So what are your your websites, your LinkedIn thing we can kind of mention yeah. this? I uh, you can follow me at the ACL Club on Instagram. I'm at ACL Club on Twitter. And then the aclclub.com is the my website and where I have links to the podcast. And the podcast that I do is called Show Your Scars, and it's interviewing all different athletes of how they got through their injuries. Athletes, actually, I talk to sports psychologists and uh, physical therapists and doctors and you name it. I I talk to them trying to get to the bottom of this. And uh, what else do I have on there? I have some videos I have created for people's scar stories that they just kind of tell in little 10, 5, 10-minute videos about people's journey so you can check out the acl club and see all that and some dope shirts and some dope shirts right like i'm wearing now i know isn't this cool let's go so it is let's go but i wanted to put this in like parentheses parentheses looked weird so i had to do these slashes because you have to let go right you have to let go Mm -hmm. of this control that you think you have but you also have to work hard so it's it's a double double meaning and yeah i like the shirts i think they're cool jordan you're awesome much better what you're doing because i think it's much needed i wish i would have had this when i was in 2011 on so that yeah. much better what you're doing so i wish it would have been there too thank you so much <laughs> and i love what you're doing too i it's cool to hear all these different athletes stories awesome well you have a great day and we'll talk to you soon yeah sounds good um Let's try to, the end of the year is a little busy for me, but hopefully we can get you on the, my podcast and at the beginning of the year. Sounds great. I'll love to be on there. Okay, cool. All right. We'll talk soon. Let me know when you um, post this and I'll, I'll make sure I share it as well. Cool beans. You the best. All right. Talk to you soon.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started With a Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one opportunity away. Peace.